Well, what a great win it was by the D's over the weekend at Brighton Homes Arena. What a way to christen the ground. The D's can now call themselves premiers of Season 7 in the AFLW. Winners over the Lions, 2-7-19 to 2-3-15. Here to talk all about it with us is football expert, AFLW writer for footyology, all the way from the United States, is Gil Griffin. Gil, welcome back to the show. Hey, Maddie, thanks a lot, and happy to be back with you. Hope everything is going well for you. Yes, uh, and same on your end. It's uh, what a great way to uh, finish season number seven of the AFLW. It was just a brilliant game of footy. I mean, the Ds, they started slow. The Lions got on top early, and I guess a lot of people had in mind that Brisbane might just run over the top of them, but Melbourne were able to claw their way back, turn things in their favour in that second quarter, and hang on. Uh, in the dying stages of the match. What did you think of the grand final? Well, you know, the same way that I thought that um, that that Melbourne were going to get overrun in that qualifying final against Adelaide, when Adelaide got off to a hot start, I thought the same thing was going to happen against Brisbane. And you really thought that way right at the, the bitter end of that first term where Nat Greider uh, made that goal-saving tackle against Megan Fitzsimon. And you just really thought, you know, all the momentum is going Brisbane's way. They're playing at home in front of their fans, uh, and they're really just going to put their foot down. But Brisbane really hung in there, and I was really impressed with the way that Brisbane just completely um, starved the Lions of the ball, um, you know, both in the midfield and in, uh, in, the forward, in the forward line. And it just goes to show you, Melbourne just did some fantastic work around the stoppages to really make the ball uh, theirs completely. And they played from really the first term, the end of the first term, all the way through the rest of the match, really on their terms. Yeah, how do you think Melbourne really got it on their terms in that second quarter? Because Brisbane had such a, a great start to the game. But Melbourne were really impressive from the second quarter onwards. How did they turn things in their favour and get the game on their terms? I think a lot of credit has to go to Eliza West. And I was really yeah. surprised, honestly, that uh, she did not win best on ground. That's yeah. who I had as best on ground. And, you know, she had the the equal high 19 touches. But I think more importantly than anything, she had seven clearances, and you know, which really led all comers. And so she was really dictating the flow of the ball uh, out of the center square and down into, into her team's end. And she also laid six tackles. And she really turned the tide, I thought. And and a lot of her teammates did some really important one percenters. But when you think about the supply and demand concept about how a forward line is not going to be able to get on the scoreboard without supply, uh, and you look at the, the really low numbers of touches that Jesse Wardlaw and Courtney Hodder had, I mean, Jesse Wardlaw had three, Courtney Hodder had four, but they weren't, they weren't even getting anywhere near the ball because it wasn't coming into their end. So... Melbourne did a really good job, not only, as I mentioned, about dominating the stoppages, but also really closing off uh, Brisbane's speed game and not allowing uh, their wingers and their outside players to gather any run and momentum. Were you surprised the game never really opened up? It was always low-scoring, tight, contested footy. The game never opened up at any point. No, it really didn't. And I guess it doesn't surprise me too much because if you if you look at the statistics – You've got the team that was number one in the least number of conceded points in Melbourne, and you've got Brisbane, the number two team in that category. That you know, people talk about their offense and all that, but their defenses are really strong too. So that didn't really surprise me too much. It was it, it, to put it in baseball terms, it was almost kind of like a pitcher's duel, is what it turned out to be—a really low-scoring affair. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, Shannon Campbell was the winner of the best on ground in a losing side. That's always a bit of a, a topic of debate when that happens. Uh, she had 19 possessions, nine intercepts, uh, eight marks and 562 metres gained. What did you make of her performance? She had a fantastic match. There is no doubt about it. And I think that she especially stepped up when uh, when Brie Conan uh, had to go off late before halftime when she had that knee issue. Um, but, you know, in, in awarding, and I'm not saying she's not deserving, but I guess the two ways of looking at it, at least in my book, were, one, you could pick the person who really turned the tide in her team's favor, or you could pick the person that, if not for her, it might have been worse. So I, I really would have to go for the person who turned the tide, and that to me is Eliza West. And it's interesting because Eliza has some history over here in the U.S. because she was a point guard uh, for Utah State, their basketball team. So it, it's just interesting from a basketball point of view, someone who really controls the tempo and the flow. And she really did that when she was winning all the clearances and doing all the grunt work and everything she was doing yesterday. And for that reason, for those reasons, I really felt like she was the one that should have been best on ground uh, recipient. Yep. I had Eliza West as best on as well. Um, now, uh, Gil, you, you can't help but be happy for Daisy Pierce, who has been a champion of the game. She's finally broken through with a grand final win. Yeah, absolutely. And it was ironic because her first shot on goal uh, was a behind. It was it was an awkward shot off her left boot. And, you know, Daisy has just been great for the AFLW and great for the for the game. But you know who I really uh, spare a thought for is, uh, is Taylor Harris. Mm. I mean, here's Taylor Harris, who had played in three grand finals before this, three AFLW grand finals. She averaged only three touches per, uh, per those grand final matches, kicked one goal, and I really couldn't help but think that the footy gods were smiling upon her because she she worked her way uh, into a loose position, was able to clunk a big chest mark, the biggest one of the match, as it turned out. And the footy gods set her up right right in the goal square yes. at point-blank range, almost saying, okay, here's a gift to you. You can't miss this. You're finally going to get your reward. And so I really uh, I, I feel for her, but she also had to pay her dues because she had that nasty uh, cut under her left eye. Mm. Uh, but I guess as a boxer, maybe she's used to that. Um, but so I was I was really happy for her that that she finally uh, got some redemption. And then in the irony of ironies, here it was um, her being a former lion delivering the blow that uh, that that ensured it for Melbourne because they never relinquished the lead after she kicked the goal. Yeah, it was the game winning goal coming in the third quarter. Uh, Gil, just back to Daisy quickly. What's your gut feeling? Do you think we've just seen her last game of footy? I think we have. I think uh, I, I really do. Last year, or not last year, the previous season could have been, but it's one of those situations now where you have to think that she's really, at least from, from our standpoint as, as observers, she's accomplished and everything she really set out to do. And it would really be a good transition for her to really write her own ticket in the footy world. And much in the same way that we saw Joel Selwood uh, go out after he won the grand final with Geelong. So she, so last year people were talking about her pulling a Shane Crawford, but now she's pulled a Joel Selwood. Yeah, what a champion she has been. And if it was her last game, uh, all the best to Daisy Pierce, uh, whatever she does decide to do. Uh, Mick Stanier and uh, Melbourne's coaching staff, they've done such a great job, not only this season, but the entire year. Uh, Gil, you have to give them plenty of credit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they really figured out, I thought, 
uh, how to really uh, limit Brisbane's influence because you, you just, at the start of the match, you just thought, okay, with Dakota Davidson kicking a goal and Kathy Spark had a fantastic start to the match and you just felt like the, the Lions are so deep and we haven't even seen what Jesse Wardlaw and Courtney Hodder are going to bring this match, but they really limited their influence. I mean, by, by just not even letting the ball get near them. Um, so they did, they did a lot of great scouting and they did uh, a lot of homework on, on Brisbane. So yeah, absolutely. You got to give full credit to them. And it's interesting because later in the match, uh, Craig Starcevich at Brisbane tried to get Courtney Hodder into the match by moving her into the midfield. And then we saw um, also Jess Wardlaw do a lot more rucking. But those two things in and of themselves just weren't enough. They didn't work. Should Dakota Davidson have been given a 50-meter penalty after that incident with Kate Horge where she just ran her down? Should, should that have been a 50? Wow. You know what? I knew you were going to get into that because Dakota Davidson was at a couple of controversial points and maybe the footy gods were not with her. Um, no pun intended, but it was really a 50-50 situation. Sorry for that bad pun there. But um, <laughs> but it was just funny because on TV, the commentators were, were saying that their interpretation of it was that uh, Dakota had been given play on advantage, but she chose not to use it. And then you know, it seemed really, and they, the commentators also made this point, that it seemed like a couple of the umpires were of two different minds. And if you're if you're Melbourne, if you're Kate Hoare in that situation, you know, you have to go with what you think is right and be instinctual. And so it's really tough to say. I don't, in looking at it again, I don't think that she should have been paid the 50. But then again, um, Dakota Davidson was at another point of controversy because at the end of that third term, it definitely uh, looked like she pushed her defender in the back mm. and she ended up getting that set shot. And if she converts that set shot, uh, the Lions are back in front and that changes the complexion of the match. And then the other thing also, and not to, to totally deviate from this, but also Sophie Conway had a little bit of bad luck because she was even celebrating what she thought was a goal, but uh, the ball was touched on the way through. Mm. So again, you, know, the, you, you can't mess with the footy gods. When the footy gods have decided what they want, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Little moments in games have such a big effect on the outcome. It went in Melbourne's favour this time around. Winners by four points. Uh, Karen Paxman, she's been sh- such a star for the days over a number of years. She copped a knock towards the end of the game. She went off the ground. Do we know exactly what the injury was? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't checked out to see what that injury was, but I'm thinking it couldn't have been too bad because she was up there celebrating with her teammates and just having the time of her life. So I'll tell you what, if, if, uh, if, if winning is an anesthesia, then, uh, you know, she, she's showing uh, no signs of any pain, but I guess we'll have to wait to see what, uh, uh, you know, what, what the med staff will say uh, about all that. But, um, and it's funny that, that we, we were talking about Kate Hoare because Kate was involved in a couple of, of other really important moments. I mean, not only was uh, she appeared to get pushed in the back by Dakota Davidson, but she did a lot to help out down back. And she took um, a big intercept mark uh, down there. And then she had a tackle that was really important. And, um, and also she got a free, she won a free for being taken high. So it just really seems like the, the players that are there in those, in those small moments and, and do the one percenters, are really the ones uh, that get their team over the line. Uh, Karen Paxman, there has been some talk that she could be headed over to Fremantle uh, for next season. Have you heard anything in regards to to Karen Paxman and and the Dockers? 
that I have not gotten any wind of that in my mail, but can you imagine that? Can you imagine her teaming up with Turbo, Kara Bowers? That would be the most formidable tackling duo in the entire competition if that happened. That would be, boy, that that would be that would be a real boon to uh, to, to Fremantle if that were to happen. Strong talks. Uh, Eliza Riley has written the story in the West Australian uh, today. All right, uh, Gil, how do you reflect? On, on season seven of the AFLW, uh, it has come to a close over the weekend and the D's are premiers. How do you reflect on the year? Well, the biggest thing, first of all, is that there are going to be a lot of sore bodies in need of a very long rest after mm-hmm. playing two seasons in one calendar year. So you have to think that um, uh, you have to feel for the players that missed both seasons with, uh, with ruptured ACLs, that they're going to come back next year, have a little bit more time to um, – to, to recover. Um, I think it's a really good uh, reset to start again next August. And, you know, we'll see what happens because it appears that the players have gotten what they wanted as far as when they want to play, uh, the kind of money that they're making and all that. But we still have to get to the point of equalization. There still has to be a bigger stride toward, uh, toward pay structures, toward health benefits, uh, toward locking in venues way ahead of time to give the league a maximum amount of exposure. Um, you had four new expansion teams get blooded this year, which kind of caused a little bit of inflation with, uh, with, with the strongest teams getting uh, easier wins and boosting their percentages. So on the converse of that is you've got these four new clubs who've had a year of experience in the league, and I think overall we're going to see an even stronger product next year. Cannot wait uh, for what is in store for us in season number eight of the AFLW. Gil, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting not only on the show today, but across both AFLW seasons in 2022. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. You've been so gracious with it, particularly being all the way from the United States. It's uh, it's so great to have you on. You're a fan favorite. And uh, I just want to thank you uh, very much for your time. Hey, no worries, Maddie. It's a pleasure being with you too. And uh, hopefully during this AFL men's season, we'll have a chance to chat some more about that. Yes, looking forward to it. And uh, there he goes, Gil Griffin. Uh, I thank him for his time on the program today, all the way from the United States of America, AFLW expert and writer for Footyology.